1: Welcome to another episode of the Vanguards of Healthcare podcast, where we chat with the leaders at the forefront of change in the healthcare industry. My name is Jonathan Palmer, and I'm a healthcare analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence, the in-house research arm of Bloomberg. We're happy to have Owen Tripp joining us for today's episode. He's the CEO of Included Health, and he co-founded one of Included's predecessor companies, Grand Rouds, a little over a decade ago, which he then merged in 2021 with Doctors on Demand of Form Included. His current role isn't his first as an entrepreneur. He was the co-founder and CEO of Reputation.com. We're very happy to have you here, Owen. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Jonathan. Good to be with you. So why don't we start at a very high level and set the table, and can you just give me a quick overview of what Included does and and where you fit into the broader healthcare landscape?
2: For sure. So I think the easiest way to start to understand Included is to think about what you as a member or patient or consumer in the healthcare system might want around you in the form of an expert doctor in the family who also had complete visibility and control and power with respect to the financial details of your healthcare and well-being. And uh, if you have a hard time imagining that, it's because it doesn't really exist yet, and we're willing that into the universe. But let me give you some specifics. We're the first of first company to combine uh, virtual care. So think about classic telemedicine every day in urgent care plus primary care, which I'm hoping we'll get into today, behavioral health, access to expert specialists, all on top of this wonderful advocacy and navigation platform that helps people make sense of those complex healthcare details, better use their insurance, connect to benefits that they might find value in, and a whole host of other things. So we're really trying to wrap the member with everything he or she might need to get to better healthcare outcomes.
1: So there's a lot to unpack there, but maybe like let's start with the the origin stories, because it's really two businesses together under one new mantle. And maybe can you go back to the founding of uh, Grand Rounds, and, and what was the gap that you saw there, and what drove you to co-found that company?
2: Yeah, Grand Rounds, obviously, um, a super important company and idea, and the concept behind it was sort of brilliantly simple, I think, uh, I guess easy for me to say in retrospect, which is that... <laughs> The American healthcare system, when used properly, is actually a terrific healthcare system. But so many of the problems people experience with respect to their diagnosis, their treatment plans is really about connecting to the best qualified expert specialists. And um, I saw that. We can get into my background if it's useful here, but I saw that as an information technology problem. We we have these amazing doctors, they're available to mm-hmm. all of us. Um, generally speaking, and yet we don't know how to find them and we don't know how to get access to their clinic. So Grand Rounds started with this beautifully simple expert medical opinion, which allowed people to connect with uh, doctors that might be 3,000 miles away, but happen to have written a textbook on their very condition and have an immersive personalized approach to treating their disease or injury. So that was part of it. And we expanded that idea to understand that Navigation needed to play a role that it wasn't simply good enough to help people find access to expertise but but indeed to surround them with tools and advice and knowledge and benefits and technology that would allow them to better use the rest of their health insurance plan and that's really where grand rounds came from
1: so maybe just thinking about that a little bit further I mean navigation's been around for a while we've had some of the the traditional navigators on on the podcast you know what weren't they doing well that enabled you to kind of come in and, and build a capability that wasn't in the marketplace already.
2: Yeah, I appreciate your pointing that out because we were not the first or the second navigator, but uh, <laughs> at least by my count and the best benchmarking we can do, we now have the most covered lives of any navigator. And so it's sort of curious that that would have happened, right? And my answer here might surprise you. I don't think they were doing anything wrong. I think it was a, Interesting. a, a perfectly nice approach. It just didn't scale well to the needs of the modern consumer. So the traditional approach to navigation is, uh, I call a call center, I, I talk to a, a friendly, compassionate person who ideally has good, decent Google skills on the other side and can look up my plan details or help me find a doctor and network.
0: Mm-hmm. But
2: the whole goal of that approach, which I call Navigation 1.0, was to keep the member on the phone line to try to do some level of behavior change to get them to think differently, to, uh, act with more healthy uh, uh, sort of intention and and practices. Um, and that's fine. But uh, most people, when they engage with the healthcare system, um, want uh, at least initially to to solve the problem that's right in front of them. They might be experiencing pain. Mm-hmm. They might be experiencing anxiety. They might be experiencing financial stress. And so we were the first company to to build a digital experience that did many of those same things, which didn't mean that we couldn't meet you Uh, on the phone, on video, on chat, all things we've done and and largely have been the first in doing. Um, We want to do those things, but we want to reserve the time for those members who want to meet us in those spaces and uh, likely have more complex clinical and comprehensive needs. And we'll spend more time on that. The other sort of big area of difference here is that we are a highly, highly clinically engaged company. Um, We see uh, the general problems of healthcare through the lens of um, treating people for their underlying pain and suffering and, and wanting to take that away as, as, as quickly as we possibly can. So would you call that that
1: iteration that you developed kind of navigation 2.0? And are, are we still in that maybe 2.0 or have we evolved to something even newer and more comprehensive? Because I, I imagine now as
2: included, it looks a little different than it did five, five six years ago when it was just Grand Rounds. You got it and um, maybe we can spend a few minutes talking about what's in navigation 2.0 and then and then if we have time I can start to preview some of the things that are coming uh, in navigation that'd be great 2.5 uh, there's a whole <laughs> 3.0 but you'll have to have me back to hear that so in 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 navigation 2.0 we've really redefined what the member experience uh, is so instead of waiting for um, the navigator to outreach to us and hope to get us uh, for a long phone conversation instead of calling a doctor's office to talk to the front desk person and try to uh, rewire the pre-authorization flow. All of these are, are old uh, concepts in managed care. We take a, a radically different approach, which is that we can use data um, from the member's claims, from the member's medical record, from their very own searches and desires for personalized health care, to better understand further upstream what the member wants and then to shape our entire care journey around them and let me make this very tangible mm-hmm. if you and i engage today on the included health app uh despite being sort of similar in age and maybe even similar in certain other demographics we would get a a, a wholly different experience How you would search for a doctor, how your benefits would be revealed to you would be a function of your employer, would be a function of your medical history, would be a function of your personal preferences and sensitivity. So that's a one-for-one healthcare experience. That is a radical idea to most of managed care and certainly to the Navigation 1.0 set. And then when you did that search, maybe we'd offer you doctors who are seeing new patients locally, if that's what you wanted to see. We'd have Mm real-time visibility to the inventory of new appointments that you could take advantage of. Or perhaps you'd actually like to see somebody from Included Health today for whatever concern that you might have. And instead of waiting days or weeks to get access to somebody, you can start your virtual visit right there from within the app. And this sort of sets us up for a very different form of healthcare. Which again, is not to say that the Navigation 1.0 players didn't have something important to contribute. I think they understood that the traditional players in healthcare weren't adequate and they created an important beachhead in making sure that members could have access to somebody who was truly on their side. That was a really important milestone in our journey. But as we think about what's inside of that Navigation 2.0, it's really, really just a different experience. It's more of those tools um, uh, laid out in front of you it's easy access to take care of the, your needs right there in the visit, to look at your explanation of benefits, to order the pharmacy refill, to, to talk to your behavioral health specialist, who, by the way, is going to be the same behavioral health specialist the next time you come and so many more things.
1: You know, as I, as I think about navigation, you know, and, and the employer market, I mean, the proliferation of point solutions has made this just an absolute necessity uh i think for everybody in the marketplace whether you're a patient whether you're the the ultimate payer how how has that kind of spurred a a further adoption of navigation over the last couple years i mean particularly through the pandemic we saw a lot of things kind of come to market that were tech enabled and virtual you know it it seems like everybody was offering a different solution whether it was behavioral virtual care you know musculoskeletal you name it you know how has that really impacted where you're taking navigation for that maybe next journey?
2: Yeah, and and again, I'm probably gonna say something that will make your head scratch again. Um, but uh, I I sort of wish this didn't need to exist, um, you know. But 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 and yet it does. Uh, we need a third way in healthcare that is responsive um, and expert on needs from a patient point of view. The traditional two pillars that we've considered in this process um, have incentives. Uh, that uh, are designed uh, in a certain financial way, but they aren't intended to benefit the members. So let's just talk through those. Traditionally, a local health system um, wants to obviously uh, take care of patients, but is gold around a set of activities, a fee-for-service approach to billing, um, and to driving volume inside of a steel glass and concrete facility that oftentimes sits in the middle of a city and is an important institution. Um, that can be useful for members who need that level of care, but that's not the majority of day-to-day healthcare. Uh, Similarly, we have another pillar, which is uh, about um, managing the cost and administrative side of billing. Um, Important again, but not designed around the member's desire. And we see that borne out in things like NPS scores and member satisfaction surveys, which uh, constantly point to the friction that that sort of approach introduces. So you're right. Navigation has been growing. It's been growing faster than any other category of employer benefits, certainly, that I'm aware of. And so why is that the case? Well, I think employers and other group purchasers of care uh, have three major things in mind when they're trying to solve that problem. One you alluded to, but I'm going to be very specific about, which is there are all these new, lovely clinical benefits that one might design into a benefits plan. But they're point solutions. They exist in sort of a a, a random constellation of of potential access, and it's hard for people to remember at any given time which star they're supposed to point towards. And so the employer needs one easy place for people to go, to understand, to appropriately route, uh, and to have secure connectivity and file sharing, uh, file sharing through eligibility, medical records, et cetera. So that's one clear area of opportunity and one thing that navigation companies set out to solve. The second one is that you're looking for a place where a member can actually get the right expertise, the right diagnosis, the right treatment in the first place, thereby limiting the necessity for redundant, inadequate care down the pipe. And this is super important. This is why in Navigation 1.0, you saw some basic sort of performance guarantees along that line. But in Navigation 2.0, companies like Included Health are leading the way in rethinking how we can commit to the financial goals that our clients have. And it's brilliant, Jonathan. Simply by getting people to the best quality physician, to the care that they need, in the environment that's most appropriate for them, you can reduce medical trend considerably. And we've demonstrated this through multiple uh, external research surveys and efforts, that show we can drop trend between three and six percent for large national populations. This is this is incredible, um, and it's a win-win because you're doing right by the member, you're doing right by the client, and you're achieving shared goals. And the third thing that I'll mention, which is uh, uh, perhaps an important frontier as we consider where we go from here, is that there actually isn't additional capacity inside of a large company's finances or inside of a company's average HR team to support a lot more complexity here. If anything, we're seeing it go the other direction. We want simpler solutions available in more places, willing and ready to scale to national populations with all of the complexity that that entails. And so we might have seen uh, what a lot of people refer to as the point solution proliferation over the last decade. But as I and others look forward, what we see is a lot of these things coming together in one simple, easy to use form factor.
1: So when you think about building a business to, to kind of tackle those, those pillars, right? And so you want to be at the intersection of lowering trend while improving clinical utility. How do you, how do you price for that you know, as, as a navigator or as a, a services company? Because you're kind of working against opposite forces there than the traditional kind of fee-for-service model.
2: Exactly right. And, and I couldn't have made the point any better than you just did, that we're in some ways the bulwark against a fee-for-service system that is not designed around the interests of commercial members, so patients, or commercial uh, payers, so employers, other group purchasers of care. So how do you do that? Well, it turns out that when you break open the cost pie uh, in the American healthcare system, what you find, um, and this has been sort of uh, validated by multiple papers and research studies, that about a quarter of our overall expense is wasted. Wasted in Mm -hmm. the form of uh, surplus, unnecessary care, administrative care, uh, medical mistakes, and other risks that frankly should be zapped out of the system. And with smart routing technology, the ability to get people to people that are more qualified in the first place you find out that you don't need the extra MRI. You didn't need the lab work to be conducted twice, uh, which too frequently is something we do just because one hospital doesn't talk to another hospital. Sure. Um, you find out that uh, simply by um, addressing the bill the first time it came in, you realize that something was coded improperly in your doctor's office and that you can have an advocate go out and save you 500 a 1000 $2,000. The cases that I could show you Uh, where we're saving uh, patients hundreds of thousands of dollars of billed medical costs um, would would blow your mind. And so simply by introducing somebody who's acting on behalf of the member and the member's interest to get better faster, you're taking out all those unnecessary steps. And this is why it's been easy to cheer for us. This is why it's easy for uh, employers to not only purchase the services like the ones we've been talking about, but to renew at rates that could suggest that that they have really found their match for their, for their benefit provider.
1: Let's talk about that for a moment. You know, as we think about, you know, we're, we're just in the start of the, the year here. How has the tenor changed over the last couple of years in terms of selling seasons and, and what your employer customers are, are asking you to do? I mean, is there something you could point to very specifically that is, I don't know, surprised you or, or been a, a sea change in terms of what they're asking over the last couple of years?
2: Yeah, I think it's really looking for more integration and not surface level integration. Simply putting logos together on a marketing slide and suggesting it's an ecosystem uh, (laughs) no longer motivates people. Um, You have to show really deep integration. I want to give you a couple of examples of this to make it real. One, they want to see that a member's stuff All of their claims history, their timeline, their medical record, their cases, their messages, those exist in one easy platform. Why? Well, everybody enjoys that convenience. I think it would be hard to argue with the feature, but also because that's actually how you avoid that unnecessary surplus care that I was just talking about. Um, Two... They wanna see integration that actually combines the clinical and the administrative. So maybe it's helpful to understand that my emergency room visit was billed at a very high rate and that that doesn't benefit anybody uh, in that process. But even more importantly, uh, we wanna offer an alternative in the form of easy to use urgent care that's available 24 seven, no matter where you are, and is gonna see you faster than the emergency room. In that navigation 1.0 model, it simply would have uh, been the end point to say hey don't go to the emergency room go to this other place which will be a little bit cheaper and maybe we can try to help you on your bill in navigation 2.0 and the employer expectation is you do that for us and you do it in one connected platform so i think we're just just starting i mean the whole reason we called the company included health is we want to have more included in a world of sort of healthcare subtraction and healthcare fragmentation we wanted an all-included approach, and people have really gravitated to that. That's really where the group purchaser expectation has gone, and I'm going to say that we're not resting on our laurels. We're going to continue to move that promise forward. So one of the
1: things you said about uh, the integration there just struck me that you, know, you obviously have care capabilities. Can we spend a little bit of time about what you're offering today? And and you know the genesis of that, I think, is primarily doctors on demand. I mean, maybe can you talk about the merger what drove that and kind of the evolution of the two platforms together over the last couple
2: of years, how that's sure. kind of changed your, your go-to-market happily. Um, some of it comes from Dr. On-demand you're, you're correct about that. Uh, but some of it came from the grand round side and some of it really, I think the most important stuff is really just de novo, uh, what was only possible when you brought these companies together. Um, and we're going to continue to innovate as we have. So, um, maybe I'll just quickly go around the horn here. Um, Doctor On Demand was, uh, as many of your listeners will know, already um, the largest uh, video platform for doing urgent care, what we, we all think of as classic telehealth. Um, and that was a terrific product. I've used that uh, since they invented it, um, like many other great things that came out of that company. It was a well-designed, well-crafted and um, uh, thought through user experience. And they had made a strong choice to have a fully employed uh, clinical staff, so that those um, uh, providers were were not sort of rentals to the platform, but were engaged uh, not only in the great care, but the culture and the decision making of that company.
1: That is a differentiation.
2: It is compared a big to differentiator. Others. Yeah. Yep. Very big differentiator. Um, but but they they sort of had the foresight. I I, I love bragging about this stuff because um, because I had nothing to do with it. So it's <laughs> easy for me to just say what they did and and where they were so ahead of the curve. They brought online um, full spectrum behavioral health. Uh, So think uh, clinical psychology, coaching, social work. But uh, to this day, I believe uh, the deepest, most comprehensive multi-specialty psychiatry platform too, again, fully employed. And so you just start to think immediately about the interplay between those two things, everyday and urgent care and great uh, behavioral health. The third thing that um, they invented, and this was really what put them uh, on the radar and the roadmap for Grand Rounds and, and what would ultimately become Included Health, was primary care. And I'm not just saying primary care in the notion of first doctor that you see. I mean primary care as many of us grew up with and yearn for today. That wonderful, highly attentive physician, longer appointment slots, same physician every single time, care plans, integration with your pharmacy, integration with your labs, long-term management uh, around conditions and integration with the rest of the navigation chassis to help you understand your benefits, your prescription formulary, and so many other things. This was really the blue ribbon product. It's the thing that uh, we love leading into the market with today because we think it's the missing piece in people's Mm -hmm. approach to wellness and long-term great health outcomes. Now, I want to sort of briefly mention, we've talked about the expert medical opinions, but Grand Rounds, uh, since inception, has partnered with 40 different uh, expert medical institutions around the country um, and many of the thousands of doctors and, and experts that work in those facilities. That has given us uh, insight and footing on specialty care and how to mm-hmm. bring in specialists, to pick up the red phone from the primary care clinic and bring in specialty uh, right at the same time. And this is one of those, uh, couldn't have been done before sorts of capabilities prior to the merger. We could certainly do the expert part of it and doctor on demand could have done the primary care part of it. Uh, but now those two things are cohabitated and, um, we're awfully proud of that combination. And, uh, maybe you and I can talk again, uh, in the not too distant future. Cause I think you're going to see us do some really cool stuff with that combination, um, starting this year. Um, but care delivery is a really important part of what we do. We really do think at the end of the day, that's what most members actually want out of the system. They want somebody who takes an interest in them as uh, expert and is well positioned to meet all of their needs.
1: You know, we we hear a lot in the investment community about primary care and particularly virtual primary care. How do you see the landscape today and, and, and how would you kind of characterize your position in it? And I guess as we think about the next couple years, how do you think the market's Gonna evolve. I mean, is there naturally going to be a couple players who rise to the top? And I know this is different whether we're talking about you know Medicare Advantage or or commercial. But just you know, maybe your position today and where you think the market's going would be would be great to hear.
2: Well, I think the good news is that everybody roots in concept for primary care, so that's a good start. It's got a, a good brand, and everybody understands the notion of having a home base, a medical home, if you will, that allows members to uh, enjoy better, better advice and, and a place to start. I think the challenge so far has been that too few of the products actually meet every need that the member has. And so when we talk about virtual primary care, which is really what you and I are talking about today, um, it has these enormous advantages of being able to meet the population wherever they are. It scales dramatically, it suits hard to access places like rural incredibly well. Um, it can meet the member quite literally wherever he or she is, so it's uh, from the comfort of their own home. It has all of the amazing internet connectivity to, to labs, to imaging, to follow up So All of these things are huge positives. Where I think the market is still developing is understanding where that primary care product should sit in the overall stack, meaning should it be a compulsory service that uh, – must be used by members in order to obtain access to other medical services, sort of like a a pre-auth or an HMO, if you will, um, or whether it's just a benefit to be used alongside other services. Um, Ultimately, the approach we take, and our data bears this out, is that we just want to make our service so good, so clean, so helpful that the member just prefers to use it, and the outcomes naturally fall out of that. Um, and the good news is, Jonathan, that um, you know, so you look at where that product has gone just in the last few years, you have large companies who were early sponsors of our work in primary care, uh, doubling, tripling, quadrupling, even fifty Xing down uh on that promise and renewing our primary care services. And that that's a that's a pretty, pretty wonderful thing. We could um We announced a a big expansion last year of our virtual primary care efforts with Walmart. Walmart is, uh, I think, the most discerning, uh, most actuarially driven consumer of these sorts of services, certainly in the employer landscape, uh, one of them at any rate. And uh, they did the math internally and reached the conclusion that this was was the solution that they needed and that they were going to bank around.
1: Is there any, I know it's still early days, but are there any metrics you could point to around the success of that? that program with Walmart, you know, in terms of cost savings
2: or NPS scores, any anything like that? Yeah, for sure. Um, so we reduced hospital days, we reduced A1Cs, we reduced hypertension, um, we reduced uh, people who needed to find extra service or care after the primary care visit. This is also um, one of those things that is a clear primary care benchmark you want to hold Great outcomes, constant, and make sure that people don't have to go searching around for something they didn't get in that visit. In all of those cases, um, we looked uh, we looked really good. And one of the things that I love to do is talk about um, how that actually worked really well, not just sort of at the broad population level, but uh, but that it, it it served you know a classically underserved population. So when you start to cut up. Um, that data a little bit more. What you find is that the utilization, the same hospital day reduction, the engagement with high cost claimants, all of that looked really good when you cut that data by underserved populations like um, Black Americans, LGBTQ plus Americans, uh, Americans that live in uh, zip codes that that uh, have lack of access to healthcare, um, and and cutting it again by age. So. That's really the promise of primary care, and and that's where I think we delivered all the way through, uh, in that multi-year pilot that they've now uh, built upon to expand to to all 50 states.
1: Maybe flipping it to the other side of the coin, I mean, what have been some of the challenges to scaling that business? I mean, is it is it just getting employers to sign up? I mean, is it a long selling cycle? I mean,
2: what's what's the challenge there to getting everybody to adopt this? Yeah, I think there are a few things. Um, the it is a, a sort of long selling cycle because the level of integration and implementation to something like a full navigation or all included care uh, installation um, should be a, should be considered and requires multiple constituents. You have to tie into the network. You have to tie into the existing policy and procedure. Um, but but what's really cool is some of the ways that. Um, people get to know our company, and if, if you will sort of try us on for first, uh, are much faster sales cycles. So you may want to just start with expert medical opinions, or you may want to just use us for behavioral health. Or maybe primary care is what you want to do, but you don't want to take on uh, full carve-out navigation. Um, we have a very flexible sales approach that supports how employers think about that. You know That's why over 30% of the Fortune 500 uh, use one or more included health products, and why um, pretty consistently, uh, you see people start with, uh, one thing and then they want to add all of the other things. And that's, I think, additional evidence of that integration stuff we were talking about earlier.
1: I mean, I know it's probably all over the board depending on client needs, but is there one thing clients gravitate to in particular as maybe trying the first service on?
2: Well, it's, um, uh, 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 not exactly, but 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 maybe to get to better better understand how we think about the world, we try not to um, go out and just push product. I think too many mm-hmm. healthcare companies have done that, and it doesn't really serve anybody uh, adequately. Um, instead, we try to go out and listen. W- what's the problem? So, if uh, take a group purchaser of care that is seeing um, regular uh, high cost claims around cancer care, let's say. Well, their challenge might be actually providing good support for um, high-complexity patients and their expert medical opinions, uh, a form of navigation that uh, approaches and um, thinks about cancer care specifically and all the needs associated with cancer care. That's probably going to be a better approach um, to start with. Um, On the flip side, um, you might have an employer that is, uh, I can think of one employer right now, a large telecommunications company, that has... Um, 50-some-odd plan designs that they need to support. So the complexity of rolling out those plan designs, maintaining, you know, administrative customer support for all of those plan designs, that's their central problem. Mm -hmm. And so for them, navigation is going to be really, really useful. Um, A third uh, example of this might be um, an employer who's really focused on diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging and wants to make sure that... uh, uh, certain groups within the company are, are enjoying and, and benefiting from a form of care and a form of advocacy that is uh, culturally concordant with them. And so they may want to start with one of our Included Health Communities products. So we try to be flexible in our approach here. The whole idea is always that we want to provide uh, truly um, excellent integrated care. You
1: know, maybe taking another tack at, at some of the things we've talked about, you know, you mentioned in in our kind of pre-call the, the role of the consumer. And so can you talk about a little bit about how consumerism affects your platform and, and what you're doing for the consumer?
2: Yeah, and it sort of starts with a, a couple of basic ideas here, which is that Consumerism in healthcare, I think has been a um, a well-intentioned, but uh, sort of backwards idea. Most people, I can't speak for you, Jonathan, but I know I don't (laughs) really want to be a healthcare consumer. Healthcare is that wonderful assurance product that I reach for uh, when I'm not feeling well or when I need to care for another, and I want it to be safe, I want it to be effective, I want it to be high quality, I want it to be personalized, and many other adjectives that we've already discussed. Um, Unfortunately, that perspective is left out of so much of design. And when we get to ideas of consumerism, they tend to be these very sterile financial concepts like transparency, uh, which is this uh, important um, but esoteric concept around people being able to research the costs of their um, healthcare to Uh, decisions. Um, I say esoteric because if I were to go out on the streets here in San Francisco and I were to ask the next hundred people who walk by me what they think about healthcare transparency, they would have no idea what I was talking about. (laughs) Um, And they are quote unquote consumers. So instead we turn that upside down. We say, well, if you were to design an experience for those same hundred people, what would they want? They'd want uh, a physician or provider that's on call 24 seven. They'd want to, understand and participate in the decisions that affect their well-being. They'd want it to be charged at a fair price, ideally in very simple terms that they can understand. And that's how we think about it. Um, and so whether it's our policy work at the national level, or it's our work with group purchasers of health, we're really pushing for that level of clarity around uh, you know, consumerism and a member-first design. Um, this isn't just because we're trying to do the right thing although that certainly powers a lot of our work we think this will be the big next business this is actually the managed care company that doesn't exist yet today this is that third way that i was talking about that's truly built from the ground up around what a member really needs in the system and if you consistently drive great outcomes then that's going to be a winning business too
1: you know managed care is, is always part of the conversations when, when we had these sorts of discussions, can you, can you talk about the landscape from the, the managed care perspective? And where have you seen maybe them encroach in, in what you're doing or, or push back? You know, I, I'm not sure exactly. It's probably different depending on where you are uh, in terms of the response, but I'd love to get your perspective on what you think managed care is maybe doing well
2: vis-a-vis uh, your services and, and where they could maybe do better. Yeah, well, this is um, you know our mission is to raise the standard of healthcare for everyone, and so in that notion um, is this embedded idea that we're building a model that we, uh, in certain ways, hope people would replicate, but but pragmatically know will be very challenging to <laughs> replicate. So we we used to talk about this as the grand rounds effect. I think maybe it would be better term today is the included health effect. And you're exactly right. We will see moves that then show up. Uh, and how other managed care companies try to do things. Let me give you a couple of examples. We were the first company today and still one of a tiny few that really rethought a provider directory. So your classic provider directory at your managed care company, you know you you have to know that if you have knee pain that you're going to see somebody who's a, a you know physical medicine and rehabilitation doctor or an orthopedics doctor. Um, you have to sort of know that mapping in order to mm-hmm. search in the directory. Most Americans, by the way, don't know what an orthopedist does, let alone a uh, you know an ophthalmologist or an opto- optometrist, and what the difference between those two is. <laughs> um, so instead, we built this really clever search interface where you could type in natural language whatever you were interested in and auto magically in the background we would have visibility to your health plan to your benefit design to your network to who is seeing new patients to your personal preferences your language needs your gender preferences your spirituality preferences and we would recommend 10 high quality doctors for you one of the positive effects is we've seen others that are trying to emulate that approach um on one level i could get my um you know, uh, get my uh, my hackles up and, and feel very defensive about that, but we're glad to be pushing the entire market into a direction that is uh, more personalized, more uh, immersive. So that's one example. A second example was if you go back to that idea of a second opinion, um, it used to be very hard to get access to a second opinion. People would be distinctly uncomfortable talking to their doctor about it. And even if they did, the doctor would say, yeah, well, I guess you can talk to my buddy down the hall, but that's not truly independent advice. They're all (laughs) part of the same practice, but that's what a second opinion used to be. Now, the notion of connecting virtually and having, you know, a virtual review of your, of your needs, um, having people look at an MRI from thousands of miles away to, to be deeply interested and curious about your space and apply the best evidence-based medicine, um, uh, while I wouldn't say that's commonplace for everybody, you certainly ask the patients and members who have gone through our system, they're like, wow, that was possibly the most amazing healthcare experience I've ever had. We've seen others trying to introduce this sort of approach. So we see the the, we see the, the needle moving a little bit, but, but here's the sort of like bottom line on all of this. And maybe this is what your question was designed to, to get at. I think if you are a traditional managed care company and your job number one is to Reduce uh, the number of um, sort of claims. If that's what you're being hired to do, then you are um, sort of definitionally at odds with the interests of the member, or at least your um, the perception will be that you are. Mm-hmm. And I and I and I don't want to say that's impossible to overcome, but I think that's going to be very challenging for those companies um, to overcome. Now, the good news on this is that many of those same companies are amazing partners of ours. They're coming up with novel ways to solve these problems. They're open to the innovation. We collaborate um, with, with enormous data sets, and we're proud of our joint client work. Um, so I'm very hopeful that those companies are moving. I just think that there's a sort of uh, embedded challenge uh, from where they're starting.
1: You know, one of the things that struck me about your response there was the, the idea about, uh, high quality doctors. And I was wondering, how do you score, how do you score that? And and I'm just curious, cause I, I know I, if I had to go to an orthopedic surgeon, I don't know that I could pick the, the highest quality orthopedic surgeon. You know, I'd look at where they went to school and where they did their residencies and maybe pull some, some friends who are doctors,
2: but it, it's very, uh, anecdotal if you will, <laughs> I am psyched that you asked this question. I love this topic, um, and uh, you know, I spent m- more time sort of doing our own intellectual property work. This is uh, a lot of my background <laughs> as a, a data and technologist, a data centered technologist. Um, so, uh, recognizing that we only have a certain amount of time here, I- I'll try to be quick. But but this is such a rich topic. Uh, You are already ahead with how you described how you might think about it. So you actually try to understand how somebody trained uh, and how somebody prepared to be a doctor. That is a good start. Let me describe the average way that an American finds a doctor. They will um, look and see who's taking appointments fastest. That's sort of the number one reason that's in their network. Um, As you can sort of quickly understand, that has an adverse selection problem. The doctor who's highly <laughs> available may not actually be the doctor that you want. Absolutely. Um, they look at the billboard in town that points to certain claims that the hospital or surgical center is making. They, um, The number of times I've been asked, what do you think of these people? Uh, and I get a screenshot of the airline magazine where it's top doctors in Dallas or whatever it is. It's, it's, um, these are paid advertisements. This is actually the sort of worst form of finding care. And yet that's what a lot of people do. So what really does matter? Um, we look at about 14 billion data points daily to understand what drives quality and performance in the, in the country. This is one of our first uses of artificial intelligence um, dating back uh, about seven years now. And really what we think about is what is predictive of that future state performance. And it is mm-hmm. things like training. It turns out actually your medical school isn't really that important. But where you did your residency and training and your fellowship is super important. We look at surgical volumes. We look at error rates. We look at number of times you're referred to from certain practices that are also high quality to understand uh, sort of what your relevance and strength is amongst the high quality community. We look at risks, risk adjustment for the forms of uh, care that you deliver and the types of patient populations um, that you're traditionally seeing. We look at discretion and clinical judgment. I mean, One of the things that is too often missed is whether a Surgeon needed to do the surgery in the first place and were able to reconstruct the entire medical episode to see if it was clinically appropriate for the patient to get surgery. Uh, too often, people will say, well, he or she is the highest volume provider in this particular area. Well, that can be right if, in fact, they're electing to do the right surgeries. But, uh, but, you know, as my co-founder, who's a surgeon at Stanford, uh, always tells me, the best way to avoid a surgical complication is not to get a surgery in the first place, <laughs> and um, and he's a surgeon saying that. <laughs> so so we look at that sort of embedded clinical judge, judgment and a whole host of other things. But the whole approach here was to use technology versus, as you say, anecdote, because anecdote is uh, unfortunately um, a risk factor right off the bat.
1: You started the answer talking about your your past as a technologist. I I guess I wonder. You know, where are you spending the majority of your time as the the leader of the organization today? And I guess maybe how has that changed over the last couple of years?
2: Yeah, um, I am uh, sort of first and foremost a product and technology guy. So I spend a lot of time thinking about how our tools support uh, the people who work here to make uh, better decisions, to better support our members. I think about how our software can meet uh, people in their time of need, um, uh, I'm awfully proud of a lot of the work that our team is is building uh, right out of the labs here to um, uh, to provide self-service tools that can operate 24 by seven and and provide uh, really clear and cool answers and and access. So uh, a lot of that thinking is product and technology and data. Mm-hmm. Um, the other major piece of work that I do is thinking about the. frontier of what the market really needs and wants and um, sometimes that's uh, spending time with clients and customers which i love doing sometimes it's um just looking out a little bit further and reimagining what's possible and bringing that in and then obviously uh, the third thing probably the most important thing is is continuing to keep included health the absolutely best team in healthcare that's a hard hard job um uh, i certainly uh, don't take our success to date for granted on that but so much of What I think has really worked here is having a um, whip-smart, super diverse team that comes from technology, comes from medicine, uh, comes from things like um, hospitality to inform our thinking around design. Um, This is an important way that, that we stay ahead.
1: So with that in mind, where do you think the company should be in a couple years or where do you want it to be in a couple years time? And I don't know if that's three years, five years, 10 years, you know. Talk to me about your your planning and horizon and and where you want to take the company over that that horizon.
2: Yeah, our North Star metric is uh, driving healthy days. And I don't know if uh, you're familiar with that metric or um, if you've spent any time uh, thinking about it, but healthy days is this uh, standard metric um, accepted by and designed by um, lots of healthcare researchers used by the CDC. And it's a a simple and beautiful idea that just asks people, um, how many days in a month um, you know, they can't do what they want to be doing uh, because their health prevented them from doing it. And so just to give you some statistics, uh, we survey um, our members to understand how many healthy days that they're getting out of each month. And one-third of our respondents um, uh, responded uh, an average of 15 or more unhealthy days, um, which is um, really concerning. And this is holding them back from work. This is holding back from um, true fulfilled lives um, and all the other things that sort of we associate with good health. Um, But people who engage with an included health clinician after that survey experienced an average of two additional healthy days per month, um, which uh, when we looked at uh, research and literature on this topic, um, we couldn't find evidence of other companies at this scale at any rate producing those sorts of outcomes. So we're really excited about that. And so when you you asked me the question of where do you want to go? um uh you know there are certainly corporate milestones that are going to be important but the most important milestone is to deliver more healthy days to more members and that's going to require you know partnering with more group purchasers of of care so that we can expand our footprint um that we provide more services that we meet more of those needs and not just primary care behavioral health navigation obviously a great start but that we're uh investing in making it easy to get to the other services that they need and then to following those members um, uh, all the way through their journey and, and never filling them uh, at a moment of need. That's how you lift population health health outcomes like Healthy Days.
1: So I'd, I'd be remiss as an analyst if I didn't kind of ask about some of the financials. So, you know, what can you share in terms of maybe key KPIs that that you're looking at to manage the business? And can you just talk about maybe your, your capital position and, and where you guys stand in, in that journey?
2: Yeah, um, I sort of wondered if you were asking that question, but I did. But it, but actually, if if I'm being honest about what I get out of d- bed and thinking about every day, it's it's along those healthy days metrics and how I can continue to to transform them. Well, but, I wanted both
1: answers. That's okay. <laughs>
2: well, and I'm going to link them for you because they're really important. And if there's sort of uh, the classic, if you have no other takeaway but this, what I'll just remind people of is that the only way you save healthcare dollars in the system is you get better faster. I should say there's one other way, which is you die, right? But nobody is rooting for people dying and not spending any money in the system. So if that's the goal, you have to to track the company around whether you're actually driving those healthy days. There is no other metric. Um, So that truly is the North Star and the KPI uh, work what you do because everything else about our financial success falls out of that. Okay, but let me give you let me give you uh, something that's more satisfying to your to your equity research uh, training and brain. So so um, our business is um, it's hard to know for sure. We have one lar- we have a couple other large um, uh, private companies that we compete with. We have one large public company that uh, people track in the navigation space. Another one in the virtual space, and then of course there's a whole mix of uh, different healthcare companies. Um, as best we can tell, we have the largest covered life count uh, of those companies that directly waterfalls into uh, revenue because that's how we uh, get paid for our services. Um, you asked about capital. where We are um, very proud of the investors that stand behind this company that include, in no particular order, General Atlantic, Venrock, uh, Carlisle, and many others. These are um, these have been some of the best investors in Absolutely. healthcare companies like ours. As, as blue chip as you can get, pretty as much. As blue chip yeah. as you can get. And I think even more important than their blue chip status is the alignment and intelligence that they bring to the boardroom and the discussions about what we want to do. So, for example, we were talking about the merger. Um, you know, At the time that that you know I wrote the memo and, and brought that to the board, that was pretty unheard of. Nobody had really ever thought about putting those sorts of companies together. Obviously, in subsequent moves, we saw... Uh, different companies go out and, and try to replicate the strategy, but it was pretty new. And um, I am uh, humble and appreciative of the fact that my board um, uh, gets behind our thinking on that, makes that thinking better, and ultimately puts us in a position to win. They're also very, very patient. They've been winners in the space. Um, they know what good looks like, and they also know what great looks like. And so the difference between great and good is, um, uh, is important. It's important to me. It's why our team likes winning so much and likes uh, taking great care of our members. Um, so, w- with their support and the support of the team here, we're going to continue doing what we're doing now. Ultimately, um, you know, I think that that uh, at our size and scale, uh, we will be a public company. Um, but but that's not something that. Um, we're fixated on right now. Uh, we have a lot of cool stuff that we want to show the market uh, about what's possible here, and 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 we'll take the company public when it's the right time.
1: What what is your thinking around valuations uh, at present? And I'm not talking about your valuation, but I, I'm sure as a CEO looking at this landscape of of companies and different service offerings, you know, you're you're kicking the tires on things. You know, we we saw a pretty steep retracement in valuations post pandemic. You know, how do you think about that? You know, are people still looking at those high watermarks and, and or or have we adjusted to this is the new normal going forward and you're going to have to have a pretty capable, profitable business model <laughs> to succeed?
2: Yeah. Um, well, I think I think you're, you're you're already answering your own question a little bit there. I mean, I guess I'll tell you and your listeners that, you know, this company um, has not raised since 2020. And mm-hmm. uh, probably will not raise or certainly doesn't need to raise private capital again, um, did not raise any capital as a newly formed included health. So in certain ways, um, we, we were early to the let's have financial discipline, let's be smart, let's uh, build the company in a sustainable way and have been building against that plan. But if I were to look outside of these four walls, um, it certainly felt to me like the market got ahead of itself. Uh, with its excitement for um, disruptive healthcare companies, it's coming back, and uh, and it should. I mean, this is this is a huge part of our economy. Uh, nearly four trillion dollars uh, now, and spend annually in the United States on healthcare. And most people don't find that healthcare to be particularly satisfying. So it feels like there's huge opportunity with huge addressable market behind it but more of these companies need to be able to consistently deliver at scale and on an integrated basis and um, and we certainly intend to be uh, a good model of what that looks like
1: that's great you know you, we talked about you know the north star for the company but uh, one of the ways i like to to close these discussions is to ask the the speaker if there's something that they've focused on in their life lessons that they'd like to share you know, one thing that drives them personally—that maybe they share with their their team or their family or their friends—is—is is there something in your journey that that guides you uh, on that level?
2: I appreciate that question. Um, I think there's a there's a lot that we sort of reach to in our values and our mission and our work here at Included Included Health. But as you've probably heard from me pretty consistently today, um, putting the member at the very front and center of how we design uh, our products, how we think about what we charge for, how we describe uh, and report on value. That's been important. And that simple design choice uh, explains a lot of what we have done in the past here and what we will do in the future and keeps the company's competitive advantage very, very fresh. And so at my leadership table, at the board level, as we're hiring new people, uh, as we're providing feedback with, to each other, um, that's the question that we we most frequently start with.
1: That's fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Owen, for your time today. I think we'll we'll wrap it up there. It's been a, a pleasure chatting with you, and I look forward to seeing what uh, included is going to do next. Good to be with you. I'd also like to thank our listeners for joining us for our latest episodes. Please make sure you click the follow button on your podcast app so you never miss a future discussion with the leaders in healthcare innovation. I'm Jonathan Palmer, and you've been listening to Vanguards of Healthcare podcast by Bloomberg Intelligence. Until next time, take care.